You're listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. Oh, it's good to be with you all this morning. We are in our identity series, and in part one, we're talking about how we have been made in his image. And today, we will take what Pastor Ron taught on last week, and we're going to build on that in order to discuss gender this morning. So the foundation of gender begin with, begins with the creation account in Genesis. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Genesis 1. And we're going to read a few verses here out of Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. They are also up on the screens. For God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. And God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. Chapter 2. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into woman. He brought her to the man, and the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. In understanding biblical gender, it is critical that we start here in scripture because it informs our beginning as humans and it gives us our purpose as male and female. Dr. Favalli speaks of this in her book, The Genesis of Gender. She says, creation accounts do not provide scientific truths about material origins, they reveal deeper truths about identity, about who God is, and who we are, and purpose, the ends for which we are made. In Genesis, we learn that we have been created by a creator. This is not a minor detail, friends. We have been created by a creator. To reflect him, this was Pastor Ron's message last week, to reflect him, that we are to reflect the Imago Dei, the image of God, to be living icons, to represent the character and the nature of God. We are meant to reflect him. We also learn that our creator wants us to live out of our embodied souls. What is that? What is an embodied soul? Nancy Percy expresses it well in her book called Love Thy Body. A biblical ethic is incarnation. We are made in God's image to reflect God's character, both in our minds and in our bodily actions. There is no division between body and soul. Together they form an integrated unity. We are embodied souls, embodied beings. As embodied beings, we are sexed differently 
as male and female, right? And we are called to live out God's purposes through our maleness, through our femaleness. Sometimes we call this masculinity or femininity. We also learn from Genesis that God gave us authority to mutually rule over and subdue the earth and to also be fruitful, to multiply, and to create families. This outlines the foundation of what our very good bodies were created for as we live out our genders as male and female. Now, the word gender is an interesting word. The Greek and Latin root, gen, means to produce, to give birth to. It's where we get such words such as genesis, generate, generous, genitals, and gender. A person's gender is based on the manner in which that person is designed to generate new life. A person's gender is connected to their bodies. So I want to take a few minutes to flesh out two different views of gender. And I want to do this because I think it will better help understand our identity. Okay, the first is called the essentialist view. This view believes that humanity has a creator who specifically created male and female, and they have been essentially designed, meaning there is an essence to us as men and women that has been imprinted on us and helps us inform our gender identity. Okay, that's the essentialist view. There's an essence to us. Another view of gender would be called constructionist. You may have heard the expression that gender is a social construct. So let's look at the difference here. In the essentialist view, you see that there's a divine creator. There is intrinsic purpose and essence. You see that the body is connected to the soul. You see here that humans are two distinctly different sexed beings as male and female. But each gender has a wide variance of expressions, meaning not all men are going to express themselves the same way. Not all women are going to express themselves the same way. So these could be, within the constructionist view, you see that gender is created primarily or only through society or through the culture in which that gender is expressed. The purpose can be self-created. The body is often separate from the inner self. The body can be viewed at times as an object without meaning. And gender can be interchangeable or malleable. That would be more a constructionist view. <clears throat> These two views would be kind of two opposite ends of a spectrum. And so some people may find themselves 
in the middle or a blend of these two views. But these are important views for us to engage with. Dr. Favalli calls this constructionist view the gender paradigm. According to gender paradigm, there is no creator. And so we are free to create ourselves. The body is an object with no intrinsic meaning. We do not receive meaning from God or from the world or from our bodies. We impose it. Dr. Leonard Sachs, he's a medical doctor, and he has this to say about gender. He's a medical doctor who looks at gender purely through the scientific lens. That's his framework. And he says this, in reality, gender is not primarily a social construct. It is a biological fact of our species. Gender, male or female, is not assigned at birth. It is more accurate to say that gender is recognized at birth. Now, you may use the word assigned. And I think you also then have to take it a step further and ask yourself, why? Why was it assigned? And does that matter? Okay. The essentialist view of gender would resonate with Nancy Percy's premise. In this purpose-driven view, there is no dichotomy between body and person. The two together form an integrated psychophysical unity. We respect and honor our bodies as part of the revelation of God's purpose for our lives. That would be an essentialist view. This is why when one of our boys asked, maybe around the age of four, Mama, how do I know that I'm a boy? And I replied, oh, because your body tells you so. It's a very simple way to respond with that and a way for him to digest that. Now, wait a minute. Isn't the body bad? Isn't the body bad? I think many of us grew up believing so, whether it was told to us or implied to us or felt. We have this feeling, this sense that something's wrong with our bodies or something's bad about it. My husband and I went back and forth as to if we were going to pull the audience this morning <laughs> on how many of us felt that. How many of us felt there was something bad or wrong about our bodies? The interesting thing is the, the Bible does not treat the body as the source of moral corruption. Instead, it says sin originates in the heart. In scripture, the word heart does not mean our emotions like it does today. It means our inner self, our deepest motivations. Now, does this mean that all is well with our bodies? No. I think, I think we have a pretty complicated relationship with our bodies, don't we? They're aging. They're subject to suffering. They don't always work the way God intended. Some of us are even born with an intersex condition, making it difficult to recognize our biological gender. It's complicated. Because of this, because of the complications we have with our bodies, we can be tempted to detach 
or to undervalue our bodies, believing that they are bad. However, our bodies are a vessel, an instrument, and they can be used for immorality for sure, but they can also be used for righteousness. All of creation has been made by God, so it is intrinsically good. We have been called to steward all created things, which includes our bodies. Oh, but do you not know? Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. In your body, meaning it is quite possible to reclaim goodness about our bodies and glorify God with our bodies. Our bodies are a part of the created order, right, made with a purpose, declaring the glory of God. The implication is that the physical structure of our bodies reveal clues as to our personal identity. Okay, I want to say that again in case we missed it because this is really critical. Our sexed bodies, their design, their distinct design, reveal clues into the essence of our gender. Okay, so let's look at scripture to see how that is. How is that so? So let's start with Genesis 1. We've already read it. Male and female made in his image. The Hebrew term for male is the word zekar. It means to mark and to impact. The Hebrew term used for female is nekebah, which means to be opened up and punctured. Now, when you think about the sexed body, do those definitions fit the function and design of male and female? Yes. Yes. Okay. So let's hold that thought. Let's go to chapter 2. How man and woman were formed and how they shall become one flesh. The Hebrew term for man here is the word ish, which is the biologically sexed word used to describe which type of human was birthed a man or a woman. Eve also uses this term in chapter 4. When she births Cain, she says, With the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Ish. I have brought forth Ish. She's recognizing his gender, his biological sex. Okay? Gender, whether you were a man or a woman, was physically recognized at birth based on the reproductive systems within our bodies and the capacity for that. The term for a biologically sexed woman in this chapter is the term ish-sha. Because woman was born out of man, she's given the word ish, but because she has her own unique flavor, she has sha. So her name means ish-sha together. These two words for man and woman continue to reveal the different functions and design according to their distinctly different bodies. Okay, you're tracking? All right, let's look at the New Testament. In Matthew and Mark, the term used for male here is the word arson, which means strength, 
to lift up or to carry. The term used for female here is the word thelus, and it means the capacity to nourish or nurture. Okay? So now we're building here, and we're going to put these all together in terms of a definition. But I want to take a moment to look at Genesis 3. Genesis 3. This is the chapter where Adam and Eve made a choice to sin against God. And they wanted to know good and evil for themselves. As a result, their relationship together was strained. It was harmed. They began to feel ashamed, and they began to not trust one another. On top of that, their relationship with God was strained, right? They started hiding from God. They started feeling more shame. In God's grace, he tells them, I will send you someone to save you, but I also am going to give you consequences for your rebellion. And what is interesting, friends, is that the type of consequences God gave to man and woman hit the very essence of who they were as men and women, right? As a man, in his very good design, he designed men to have impact. But now, but now the consequence, he will be tempted to rule his impact. He'll be tempted to rule through domination. His work, his impact in the world will be painful. It will be difficult, How many of you men feel this this morning, that your work at times is very difficult? This is the impact of the fall of man. For women, in her very good design to be nurture relationships, she carries a distorted desire now to oppose her husband, to grasp for control at times, to lack vulnerability. She doesn't want to open up. She wants to shut down in her relationships. So when we consider Nancy Percy's point that our bodies are part of the created order, right, that we have a specific design, and they're meant to glorify God, that the implication is that the physical structure of our bodies reveal clues about our personal identity, it plays out like this. It means the male sexed body reveals an essence of masculinity that has the capacity to impact, to show up, to lift up with strength. When paired with the biblical purpose, he does so by reflecting the character and image of God. This is the essence. This is the essence of masculinity. Okay, now this is strange, besides the beeping noise. No. This this is strange because this definition does not say that a man needs to love football. It doesn't say that you have to have a large stature. It doesn't say that you have to have short hair. It doesn't say that you have to have a hard time expressing emotions. That is not what makes you a man. Being a man beckons you. It beckons you to engage your capacity to impact our world, to show up, men, and to lift up those around you with godly strength. And due to your fallen nature, you might be tempted to show up in a way that dominates. It might be tempted to dominate over women. You might be tempted to dominate over men. You might be, even worse yet, tempted to dominate over children. 
You might be tempted to avoid working hard because it's painful. You might put all your your value and worth into working too hard because you believe that, that your worth as a man is in what you produce. But for God already put this incredible masculine essence into your very bodies. You have the full capacity right now and you don't have to produce it. Why? Because you have a creator. He designed you in this way. He formed you in this way in his image. This doesn't mean it will be easy. This doesn't mean it will be easy, but dear brothers, when you show up, when you show up in this world and you impact with your oh-so-good design, when you impact your workplace, when you impact your relationships, when you impact your family by reflecting the love of God with kindness, with patience, with self-control, that is when your masculinity is strong. And I love this part. This powerful masculine essence includes all men. It includes all men. It doesn't exclude. It is for men who are single. It is for men who are married. It is for men who are fathers, those who are young, those who are elderly, those who are CEOs, those who are builders, those who are sowers, those with disabilities, those who are widowed, those who are sick. It is not contingent upon a vocation or a life circumstances. It reaches across all ethnic and cultural demographics. This essence of masculinity is good. It is powerful. It is the essence of you as men, and it is needed. It is needed. Whew, you're getting me fired up here. Okay, women, it's our turn. The female sexed body reveals an essence of femininity that has the capacity to be opened up and to receive and nourish life. That when paired with our biblical purpose does so by reflecting the character of God. This is the essence of femininity and it is good. It is good. Now, this is strange. This doesn't say anything about high heels or makeup or that you have to have a petite frame, or that you have to become a wife, or that you have to have a baby in order to be a whole woman. It doesn't say that, friends. Now, you may really enjoy heeled shoes, and you may enjoy makeup, and you may have a petite frame, and you may be happily married, and you may be blessed as a mother, but those circumstances do not make you into a woman. Being a woman beckons you to engage your capacity to open up yourself, to receive and nourish life around you with the love of God. Now, due to our fallen nature, we might be tempted to withhold. Instead of opening up, we are tempted to shut down in a way that tries to control relationships around us. We may be tempted to avoid being vulnerable, to compare ourselves against one another instead of speaking life into one another. If we are married, we may be tempted and struggle with control over husbands and actually grasp for leadership. The beautiful thing is God already put this feminine essence within all of us women. It's already in us. We have the capacity. We don't have to strive for it. It's why? Because we have been created by a creator, and it's in our actual design. He formed you this way. Now, this doesn't mean that it's easy. Right, sisters? This can be hard. 
But when we open up and allow ourselves to give and receive, when we allow ourselves to nourish and cultivate the relationships around us, by reflecting the love of God with patience, with kindness, with self-control, that is when our femininity is beautiful. I wish you could have been a fly on the wall at the women's retreat last weekend. It was incredible. The femininity expressed. There, I saw women taking a risk, opening themselves up, being vulnerable with each other. I saw women encouraging one another, speaking life into one another, building one another up. It's such a powerful expression of femininity, and I love it. This powerful feminine essence includes all women. It doesn't exclude. It's given to those who are single. It's given to those who are married, those who are mothers, those who are young, and those who are elderly. It includes CEOs. It includes artists. It includes builders and sewers. It includes those with disabilities those who are widowed, those who are sick. It's not contingent upon vocation or life circumstances. This essence of femininity, it is good and it is powerful and it is needed within the body of Christ. As a woman, the question is not if you are feminine, but how are you feminine? Men, the question for, not, for you is not if you're masculine, it's how are you masculine? What is your essence of masculine? How is it lived out in your unique way, your distinct way? Our essence as men and women is not always easy to live out. Like the wonderful Tammy Dunahoo taught us last weekend, the only the power through the Holy Spirit can help us bear the fruits of the Spirit through our essence. And we also, I think, church, need to be reminded of something. The devil is a creature. He's not a creator. That means the devil does not have his own clay. All he can do is take God's clay, you and I, and which is very, very good and meant for goodness, and twist it and distort it. Redemption, therefore, involves the untwisting of sin and evil that have been so twisted so we can recover the true goodness. Okay? So what are some of the cultural implications of gender? The first thing, and, and this, this segues very beautifully into this, is that we need church we need, it is critical, to increase belonging within our genders by widening what gender expressions can look like for men and women. I mean, we have to move beyond football. We have to move beyond makeup. We have to. Why? Because when we expand beyond stereotypes into a biblical view of gender, then we will have less men, less women needing to find needing to find other gender options because in order to feel at home, in order to feel at home in their bodies, okay? For the last 17 years, I've worked as a mental health counselor, primarily in the area of gender and sexuality, and this specific insight can provide such deep healing for many men and women, there are men and women in this room right now that are receiving healing because they are seeing their gender in a different light other than a rigid stereotype. We have to be willing to expand beyond stereotypes. 
Okay, but Shannon, what about roles? Are there certain roles only men and only women can have? I do think this is a very important question. And I do see scripture showing us that only a man has the reproductive capacity to live out the role of fatherhood. And a woman, she has the reproductive capacity to live out the role of motherhood. Those roles now are not requirements in order to be a whole man or a whole woman, but they are roles that are vital to the purposes of God and humanity. There are other sections of the New Testament that talk about specific behaviors men and women should or shouldn't do within the cultural context of Paul's ministry. How that applies to our current culture context for the greater church, this would require a whole nother message. <laughs> There's just a lot there, and I would love to take time. I honestly would, uh, but I don't have the time right now. What I do think is important to note, friends, is that when Jesus, when he talks about gender, and he does so in Matthew 19, the context for it is divorce, but he speaks about gender here. And he references, number one, there's a creator who made male and female, two biological, sex-differently humans. Jesus acknowledges this. And the next thing he does is he quotes Genesis 2 regarding a man and woman should become one flesh through marriage. And I think when Jesus speaks, it's rather significant. And so my ears want to be wide open to listen when he speaks on this. This does not mean we shouldn't express ourselves through different roles, but rather those expressions can be negotiated while maintaining integrity with the body, with the body. Another cultural implication that challenges arise when we devalue or detach from the body. If we don't believe our bodies matter, then what we do with our bodies holds little value, right? If the body has no intrinsic purpose built in by God, then all that matters are human purposes. So it can look like this. If these are the different aspects of gender, we have biology, purpose, roles, development, expression, identity. If these are the different aspects of gender, what would happen if we take out biology and we take out purpose and we take out development as part of biology? What happens? What are we left with in order to, to cultivate our gender identity? We're left with the expressions and the roles that we may feel are us, and that's what plays into identity. Do you see how that can, can be problematic? That can, that can really cause significant distress for somebody. The implications of detaching the body from our gender identity can create challenges for our gender. Now, some of you know this part of my story, but for those who don't, as early as four years old, I suffered through what is called 
gender dysphoria. Significant distress around how I felt in my body to the point where I felt like I was born in the wrong body, that I was a boy, that my body was not good, and somebody made a mistake. This led to depression and detaching behaviors, like trying to cover up any indication that I was a girl. This was a very painful process for me. It affected me mentally, emotionally, socially. There came a point in my process later on in my college years where I had to learn how to integrate how to integrate my body with my internal sense of self in a way that aligned with my beliefs about God and who he says that he was, that he was my creator and that he created me and who he said that I am, that I am his daughter. This was not an easy process for me. And by the grace of God, he's allowed me to integrate, to feel congruent in my body, in my spirit, and in my soul. But this is not felt by everyone. This is not everyone's experience. By respecting the body, the biblical ethic overcomes the dichotomy separating body from person, it overcomes it and it heals self-alienations and creates integrity and wholeness. It creates integrity and wholeness. It is quite vulnerable to go toe-to-toe with the reality of one's own body and how am I going to reconcile this with the reality with how I feel. This painful process is why I hold such deep compassion for those who do not feel integrated, who are struggling with gender identity, who are struggling with dysphoria. Now, within the transgender identity, not all who use this term are talking about the same thing. Some within this group are are deeply suffering with gender dysphoria, and have been since they were a young child. It's been a struggle most of their life, and it is very painful. The pain leaks through the mental, emotional, social, spiritual aspects of their life, and it is intense. And they usually need a loving support system. Church, can we be the loving support system to help them work through it? Now, others within this group may not have any gender dysphoria or very little and sometimes describe themselves as as gender fluid or gender nonconforming, which may be their response. Now, listen to this. It may be their response pushing back on rigid, narrow stereotypes of of a specific gender role or expression. And yet others within this identity may find themselves somewhere in between. 
As I consider someone who identifies as trans, I hold a posture of care and curiosity. I am curious to know, how have they defined masculinity? How have they defined femininity? What are the components that have influenced how they feel? Do they find a deeper purpose within their gender? And I'm curious if there's a way for them to explore gender without detaching from the body. I want to end with this. I want to know, as a church, how can we reflect Christ through compassion? Compassion towards ourselves as we have held insecurities within our own gender. Maybe we have defined gender in really rigid terms, and it's been a painful area for us. As we learn how to better live out of God's given gender for us, body and soul, may we ask the vulnerable question before the Lord, how do you see me as a woman? How do you see me as a man? And I think, I think there are layers of healing and freedom waiting for us in his answer. I also want to urge us as the church to reflect Christ's compassion as we move towards those who feel like they don't fit. May we come alongside those who are suffering and help bear one another's burdens. It's not a us versus them issue. It's our issue as the body of Christ. Why? Because we're all image bearers. We're all image bearers, and we all fall short of this glory. May we all learn together, learn how to lean into God's good design for our gender. Amen? Amen. If this, I want to call the prayer teams forward. If this topic felt really tender for you, I want to encourage you to come forward and receive prayer. If this topic was painful because you have a loved one that you care about so deeply, I want you to come forward and receive prayer. If this is a place of deep suffering for you, I want you to come forward and receive prayer. Okay? Why? Because in that, in, in coming together as the body of Christ and going against these spiritual forces, we can become freed up and healed as we continue our gender journey. Okay? Let's pray together as we close. God, I thank you. I thank you for your very good design. I thank you that you are the creator and we are not. I thank you that we can rest upon your design and knowing that it is good. God, I pray through your Holy Spirit that you would give us strength and you would give us courage in how to lean into the essence of the true essence of how you've designed us as men and women. Give us the ability to do that, Father, in your goodness. Holy Spirit, in the areas that are painful, I pray that as you do this so well that you would come in and comfort us. Come in and comfort us when there are not easy answers. Come in and comfort us when the journey is long. Be with us. 
God, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbefoursquare.com.